0: This week we're looking at the Beatles effect on young musicians growing up in Liverpool. What's it like to know that no matter how successful you become, you will never be the biggest band from your home city? We've got some great guests sharing their own experiences with us today on whether the Beatles have been an inspiration or a hindrance. Part-time rock star and full-time legend Pete Wiley and Anton Eger from the Cheap Frills are with us. I'm Ellen Kerwin. And I'm Laura Davis and this is Beatles City. So Laura, what was it like to meet um, these these Liverpool musicians here in the studio?
1: I think it was just great having them both in because they're from sort of different backgrounds in a way. So Pete Wiley got started in the seventies and was obviously massive in the eighties and continues to have a successful music career today. And Anton um, started in the last kind of ten years, meeting. his bandmates at school and so they have started out in in very different liverpools very different musical industries and um, so it was just really good to get both of their perspectives
0: yeah what was interesting to hear was that although they do their experiences differ they actually had some similarities and how they felt growing up as well
1: yeah and it was it was quite a lovely thing really to witness them meeting each other and and sharing those experiences and even though that you know they're generations apart that that they had so much to still kind of learn and and learn from each other and talk about
0: yeah and they had so much in common i think after this they did go out and have a drink together which is nice (laughs) it's nice to know we're bringing people together (laughs) So we're here for a roundtable talk for the Beatles City podcast. Myself and Laura are joined with Anton and Anton Eger. Thank you. And Pete Wiley. Hello. And we're here to just talk about what it's like being a musician and following on from the Beatles, who obviously just blew Liverpool music scene out of the water. And we're sure you lot have got plenty of opinions. So plenty. let's start with you then, Pete. You look raring to go. I can't
2: wait. <laughs> She's shaking? I, uh, I, I... Grew up in a, a while the Beatles were alive and uh, and kicking in Liverpool. I was born in '58, so I was very aware growing up of them. And my cousins used to play their records, and they were kind of an ever-present in your life growing up in Liverpool in the '60s. Obviously, even though they weren't really around. But then when I started being in a band in mid '70s with like Ian McCulloch from Echo and the Men and uh, Pete Burns and stuff. We we met up in a club called Eric's, which was opposite the cavern in Matthew Street, and Roger Eagley ran it, said, ignore the Beatles, get away from the Beatles. Because in the 70s, there wasn't the Beatles industry as it is now. I mean, there were. The, I'd I meant to uh, Beatles meet up, you know, one of them kind of conventions. There were like 70 people at it. It wasn't like it is now. And people hadn't realised how commercially useful the Beatles could turn out to be. But the other thing was, every interview we did would say from the home of the Beatles or following in the footsteps of the Beatles. And we all said, no, we're not. We're nothing to do with the Beatles. We don't like the Beatles. We don't want to be part of the Beatles world. We're our own fresh thing. Punk rock and post-punk made us really strongly reject the Beatles. Because if we hadn't, there wouldn't have been a scene afterwards. There would have still been having conversations about the Beatles as though they were still here and still part of the, you know, four mop tops, basically. So So as
1: as they were rejecting, what came before you were rejecting them, essentially?
2: Yeah, because they rejected, you know, I mean, well, no, they rejected the cabaret side of things, the Beatles. They did a great thing where they invented British rock and roll properly. You know, there'd been elements of it before with Johnny Kidd and Liverpool had Billy Fury, who was, you know, the first decent rocker in the country. But the Beatles changed a lot of things. However, can you imagine trying to uh, make your first records and everyone compares you? Because simply because of geography to the biggest band ever in the world, it's almost an impossible thing. And the first song I ever wrote, never recorded. The first line was John Lennon cast a shadow over me because you can't, there was no escape outside of Erics. But in Erics and in our gang, they weren't a thing. we, We didn't have anything to do with them. You know, we, we, we rejected them. We never listened to them. We didn't play them. Uh, I mean, punk rock kind of did that. There's a line in the Clash song on the first scene. Sony bit in the dust. Well, it's that. Yeah. But before that, there was no Elvis, Beatles and the Rolling Stones in 1977 because we had to start again because music had drifted away into this other world where we weren't part of it. I mean, I'm a massive Bowie fan. I mean, Bowie did when he, I saw him at the Empire on 10th of June, 73. And in the middle of Gene Genie, he, he did Love Me Do on the harmonica. And, you know, which is great, but also a bit weird. And then he, uh, he used to do a version of This Boy, even in 70, you know, from early Beatles days. So they were still kind of, everyone knew they were the massive band and the most creative band and the most exciting and blah, blah, blah. But that meant nothing to us. I You know, I I, I didn't listen to them for years and years and I made a con- we all made a conscious decision to start again and treat it as year zero. Because otherwise, for example, the example I always use is, if you hadn't, if we hadn't rejected the Beatles and said start again, you could never have had the Lars, who were influenced by Beatlemania. Because what what you got a lot around our time were cabaret versions of the Beatles. You know, like just doing the covers in the pubs. You st- I know that still goes on now, but that was the our only direct connection with the Beatles. You know.
1: So did you listen to them growing up as as a Yeah, yeah,
2: absolutely, absolutely. Well, you couldn't escape, as I say, as a child in the 60s whose cousins went to the cavern and, you know, so they did the crossover into mum's and dad's music as well. Uh, So my parents would play them and everyone, you know, and everyone talked about them uh, up to a point. Although there was a sense after 64 of betrayal, you know, that the Beatles became a London band, not a Liverpool band anymore, and... There are still people who say that to you. I mean, I've talked to people who say that to you, you know. But I understand, you know, their importance. I think they were incredible uh, when they were living here. And I think they were different incredible when they left, you know.
1: I think it's really interesting that you made a conscious decision to forget them, especially given that it's Roger Eagle saying that who had so many different influences.
2: But he knew, he knew that we would never have got started if we had the Beatles bleeding into our music, you know, if we didn't make this conscious decision to give Liverpool a new musical identity, which we did, you know, we did manage to do it in and the end. You know, could that, you
1: could you shut them out, or were yeah, you? Yeah, were you con- if you're going against them. You're no, almost no, responding to them. No, we just ignored them. them. Just we ignore didn't
2: mention them. them in interviews, except to say that they overshadowed us right at the beginning, and then we would um, we would not we would act as though they didn't exist. That movie that's just come out about yesterday, is it?
0: Hmm.
2: We lived it. <laughs> We were the original yesterday, you know, except we were tomorrow. That was what interested us. We were looking to the future, not the past, you know. I should sue those people. I know, I was going to say, I like that
0: reference. (laughs) (laughs) But
2: that's how it was, you know. I mean, and it wasn't done with any malice or it wasn't personal, obviously. But it was to do with us being able to say who we were. To us to be fully formed as Pete Wiley, Ian McCullough, Pete Burns, Holly Johnson, Paul Rutherford, you know, and the rest, Uh Jane Casey, massively. I mean, Jane will still tell you these same things. Me and Jane Casey often talk about that. You know, you know, Jane Casey. Yeah, yeah, Of course, yeah, you do. Superstar, Liverpool superstar.
0: Do, do you think it almost inspired you to to take more risks to be super different in well, a way? It, it,
2: well, I don't know if it did because we, there were so many brilliant. Bits of music coming out from, like, 1974 and 5 in New York. We were hearing records by television and the Ramones, obviously. I mean, ironically, the Ramones took their name from Paul McCartney's secret identity, you know. he used to sign into hotels as Paul Ramon. And uh, they loved that, because they, so they were fans. But, uh, no, we were hearing that music. And that was the great thing. With Roger Eagle saying that, it gave us a kind of a mad freedom, we didn't have to think about anything that had gone before, really. We were interested mainly in what was happening now, uh, as you know, contemporary stuff. In so we knew about the pa- uh, the Clash and the Sex Pistols before we saw them. We'd read about them in the music papers, we, which were a massive thing as well, because there wasn't the social media, there wasn't TV coverage. So I read about the Clash. I saw a photo of them, and I knew they'd be my favourite band. And then, but at the same time, there were other weird influences coming in, and reggae was coming, uh, like heavy dub, not obla oh obla da, and it was just—it was really exciting. Plus, we all started turning each other onto music, and I worked in Probe Records uh, while I was starting the group. We, I mean, me, Pete Burns, Julian Cope, a whole bunch of us worked in Probe, and we, were, Jeff would, feed, Jeff Davis who ran Probe, would be feeding us music all the time, and. I mean, it, it was great because we didn't have this tradition to follow uh, or we didn't think we did. You know, I mean, I definitely, there are traditions I love, you know. I, so we didn't reject everything out of hand, but specifically the Beatles we had to because we would have just been another bunch of also rams, you know.
1: And obviously Eric's also on Matthew Street as the yeah. Cavern was. Can you give us a, a feeling for what it was like?
2: I mean, I went the first, night. me and Ian McCulloch went together because me and him were mates before, as Bowie fans. And I we went to see the Stranglers for sixty pence, and f- I still think we were robbed. <laughs> 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 but it was dead exciting because when I walked into this place where there were other people like us, where you you didn't see that we used to go to the Liverpool Stadium, which was here somewhere in this area, and and uh, see rock bands. You know, there weren't really a, there wasn't a club that you could go to. Uh, for music like ours we used to go to a pub in st john's precinct called the moonstone Uh, and it was all very derivative of the things that were like heavy metal and hard rock and stuff which and it was all right you know but then we found our own place and you walked in and you went wow i think there were 70 people there for the stranglers and you went but there are 70 of us there was an instant kinship and an instant no racism no sexism no anyism you know i met people who were gay for the first time, or at least out gay. And in fact, when you talk about Pete Burns, Holly Johnson and Paul Rutherford, they were super gay. You know, they were like proud, out and proud. And it was inspiring. Mm-hmm. And no one was thought of any worse or better, which come, I came from Walton and it's quite it was quite a hard area, you know, where I grew up. And uh, suddenly there was this, that added to the freedom. You know, you thought, wow, you grew up with traditions politically and musically and things like this. And suddenly you can do what you want in your head. When that happens... Mm-hmm your head explodes with ideas and people are feeding you brand new things you've never heard before. And the people, are, but they were also friendly people. Eric's hardly ever had fights, hardly ever had, there was no real drug scene there. It was music, all music. And I, I, I mean, I went to see the Sex Pistols November 76 and there were about 60 or 70 people there. The Pistols weren't very good. They weren't in the mood. It was a miserable Thursday night in Liverpool and they didn't really want to be there. They've said this in subsequent interviews and he couldn't really be bothered. And I know I'm mates with them now, you know, uh, and they talked about it. But I took my mum's little camera, Instamatic holiday snap camera. That we, this is, I, I see three people looking at me like I've just discovered <laughs> stones can make a fire. <laughs> but, uh, um, but I took more pictures of Pete Burns and Lynn Burns because I'd never seen anyone like them. Pete was head to foot in PVC, skin tight PVC, and he had a quiff on his head that looked like he melted his vinyl record collection into a haircut. <laughs> and the pistols were interesting, but Pete and Lynn are, were amazing. You know, they were just, I mean, I didn't know people like that existed, never mind, walked out in public like it. And they'd come over on public transport, I think, from the Whittle, you know, looking like that. That's pretty intense. And they were brave, you know. I, I, I mean, I think of them as, as warriors, Pete and Lynn and I'm uh, still mates with Lynn. Pete Scarnie would have been 60 this week, I think. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it was amazing. So it was eye-opening as well. But what happens when you're 17, 18, and new music's battling you, and new people, and a new way of looking at life, all happening at once, you, it inspires you. You think, I want to be in that. I don't want to just be watching it from the sidelines, which is the other thing that happened with music. You were only ever a tourist, even, no matter how much you loved the band, mm. you were looking in from the outside at them. Punk rock. We met the bands after they played. I met the Clash in the bar. I met, you know, I met everyone. I met, I, we talked to every band. There are photos of us with those bands, you know, in books. And uh, and that was exciting as well because we you felt sort of equal. And not that you ever shouldn't. But before that, you didn't meet Bowie in the bar. You didn't meet Brian Ferry no. from Roxy. No matter how much you loved them. You might meet the Bay City Rollers, but nobody wanted to. <laughs> not my gang, anyway. <laughs> So yeah, it was it was thrilling, and it felt like a real and it was a life, and I, I I sort of became a different person because of it. I mean, absolutely, I was I always loved music, but I was fairly shy. I know this is one of those things that people all go, what well, cameras were that big and Pete was shy. Um, <laughs> it, it's absolutely true. Uh, I, I was a bright, uh, music loving. Uh, chubby kid who turned into, you know, I turned into Pete Wiley. That was my coming of age, Eric's. you know. And then mm. the great thing was we, I played on the last night of Went the night the police raided it and mm. after we played. And I was saying to the audience, the police are going to come in because we had an inkling we'd been getting, you know, intelligence from people. And, uh, but that felt powerful, you know, that felt, to go from being a fan to being pro-musician pro by that time, you know, although I never really got that professional. As i demonstrated today, coming quarter of an hour late. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so did the city of Liverpool inspire you? I, well... Did you have to be here to... to
2: yeah, yeah. You know? Every The great thing with the punk rock, post-punk period, uh, 76 to 80, 81, every town was different. As you, We know a lot about Manchester, obviously, but Glasgow was different. They, because we were sort of insular and we weren't connected with the previous scenes and the previous history... You made your own version of history within you, and you were always aware. That was the other thing we were interested in. Else, what else was going on? We weren't insular like that. I wanted to know about Edwin Collins, for example. Who, you know, Ed, you know, Edwin was orange juice and stuff. And I wanted to know about the Fall, and we met the Fall very early on. And I wanted to, and you know, I became mate. I used to stay at the. I went on tour with the Clash when I was eighteen. You know, mm. and played with them in Paris in eighty one. And you know, Mick Jones gave me a guitar where an inordinate amount of money for nothing. I got my guitar up. He came round the guitar shops in Liverpool with me after sound check, And, you know, this wouldn't have happened with uh, the big bands of the day, of the previous era. And it wouldn't have happened with the Beatles, I don't think. It wouldn't you know. happen now
3: either, I don't yeah, think. Yeah,
2: well, I would go round with you. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd, I'd go so, round with anyone. So, so, so do you know when you said you went with The Clash, was yeah. you playing as Pete Wiley then? Or was while Heat was the group to yeah. start with, which again came from the doorway of Eric's. I'd, we had a new group and in 79. So the teardrop Up and the Bunnymen had started and I'd been in a band before them. We were the three... I was in a group with Ian McCulloch and Julian Cope in 1977 called The Crucial Three and we rehearsed in my mum's house and a mate called Spenner, who I'm still mates with, was the drummer, and we rehearsed a few songs in my mum's house and Mac's mum's house. But then we were always in groups with each other. There's an exhibition in Central Library at the moment about that, that era. And The Family Tree, which is on a wall, it's a massive... Uh, uh, Family Tree of Liverpool Music. And Pete Frame, who did it, said it was the hardest one he ever had to do because we were all in groups with each other. I was in groups who never made a a sound. We formed one (laughs) group. We formed one group just to have a petition to get another group to split up. And we formed another group uh, just to make T-shirts of another group and make money off them when they hadn't even thought of making their own T-shirts. You know, that was an (laughs) attitude. You could go really stupidly uh, surreal in your attitude. That was the other thing. There was a freedom because of the nature of punk rock and post-punk. You could do anything you wanted, you could dress. So I never, I never, I spent a very little time looking like what you'd think of as a punk. And uh, other times I'd dressed like Jim Morrison all in leather, because I, cause I could, you know. And other times, well, I'm not going to tell you something. I used to wear the <laughs> toilet seat. And uh, the toilet seat, Joe Strummer mentioned in a song. I wore it uh, when Adam and the Ants played. And uh, Jordan, who's still, she's just got her book out now, Jordan, who was their manager and co- and mate, she she said it was one of the coolest things she'd ever seen because people but it was it was laughing it wasn't angry I wasn't going the world's a toilet you know and I was dare going. I ask
1: where you wore this toilet? Seat?
2: Everywhere <laughs> and around your uh, neck. Yeah, no no no. Strummer said in the song that it was around my neck, but I actually wore it. So the bit the uh hinge of the toilet seat i put a piece of string through it and wore it at the back as a where you'd normally wear the toilet seat (laughs) but not as a piece of clothing and uh, i've still got the outfit i've got red satin kecks from a a shop called bus stop in the 70s girls shop i wore my mum's coat and blouse and a pair of doc martens in this toilet seat and i've still got the blood on the trousers where i was head butted on the way home not for wearing those clothes for being a punk who had insulted the queen you know it was insane <laughs> wow. honestly but but it, 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 i mean liverpool was also a very different place i love i mm-hmm. love liverpool you know i mean i i don't think you can be i find it hard to separate what i do from where i'm like Bruce Springsteen or Lou Reed or or the pistols you know they're from a specific place and that mm-hmm. resonates in the music i think and uh i think other towns had their own identities, but Liverpool was a massive influence. Also because there's an attitude that goes with us, you know. There's that, I mean, which might be Beatles inherited but I think before the Beatles, people were funny and sarky and intense and passionate, you know. I mean, you know they were. So, yeah, Liverpool influenced me, but I influenced Liverpool. That's a very punk rock thing
1: to say. <laughs> <laughs> so when you hear about these stories, Anton, do you, do you sort of, Wish that you were you were
3: here then. Yeah, I do. I do. It is. It's it's interesting to hear because obviously it's a completely different de- generation yeah. to what I've grew up in, being in a band. Yeah. How so, is it now? How do you find it now? So I love it. Like yeah. I love it. But you start when you started off before you were saying you couldn't get away from the Beatles. I yeah. think that's still exactly the same, and that's one thing. Yeah. What, what what's still the same now? So whenever we play on on tour and we get interviewed by like magazines, the first question is of oh, so. You're from Liverpool, so you mad? must you must be influenced by the Beatles. And I mean, yeah, we, we are, but we don't sit and listen to them every single day and pick bits of songs and say, oh, we should put fair. this guitar When you, you
2: form Cheap Thrills or whatever, you don't think, oh, the Beatles are from the same place. Let's yeah. do that. You know, you don't want to be Silla Black. You don't want to be... In fact, you want to be you, you know. I mean... I think, in a way, it's worse for you because we had our periods where we could shut them down and nobody really noticed because there wasn't a Beatles industry, like I say. Uh, but now there is. Now you, Everywhere yeah. you go, I just came up in on the bus and I passed yellow submarines yeah. and magical mystery tour buses and I walked past the cavern. and it's, They're all tourist industries so, and they've got no real connection with music. None of them are about um, music.
3: So I went to Indonesia last year and hardly any of them spoke English. And we yeah. was going into these little shacks buying rice and stuff. Mm. And they'd try and ask, where are you from? Where are you from? Yeah. And we'd go, Liverpool. And they'd go, oh, the Beatles. Yeah. And it was like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm on the other side of the world yeah. in a very poor country. And they still
2: yeah. love
3: Liverpool, still love the Beatles.
2: Yeah. And it's hard. I mean, I, I, I you know, in terms of the commerce of the city, I can see the good it does bringing money in now. I, I, Paul McCartney doesn't like me. Because I said in the mid-80s, when Liverpool was really getting battered, I did an interview and I wrote a song called Come Back, which was about, I mean, it was about a lot of things, but one of the things was, there was a thing in the newspaper, Guardian, saying, um, the Guardian newspaper said, 70% of Scousers wanted to leave. And I said, well, my mates don't want to leave, and nobody I know. And in fact come back to the city and stick up for the city. And in the song, it mentions, yeah, 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 included. It mentions the cathedrals. We filmed it at the cathedral, uh, the video at the cathedrals. Because I thought people should come here and fight for the city. And in one of the interviews around, come back. I said, you know, if the Beatles opened a shop in Church Street, a Japanese company would want the shop next door, an American company would want the shop the other side, mm-hmm. and people would start going in. I invented the Beatles industry. I've just realised I should be also getting <laughs> royalties from them. But... I just thought, you know, something to show Liverpool as a positive thing because there wasn't a positive image in the media, not because of us, but but because of, you know, I hate it. I'm not going to say her name. That's yeah. Anyway, (laughs) um, so we, I felt like it should, you know, do this and McCartney read it and, we came back from a telly show in Italy and there was a, this. So we got a magazine at the airport and the headline was Paul McCartney interview. Was, There's this guy, Pete Wiley, who's slagging me off. And I was like, wow, Paul McCartney's heard of me. <laughs> no, I wasn't bothered about whether he... But, but he, he's had quite a negative view of me because on the 10th anniversary of Lippe he, he does the graduations at Lippe And he said, uh, anyone know Pete Wiley? And the audience applauded and cheered and that was very nice, of course. I wasn't there, but I haven't... Uh, many witnesses and he said 10 years ago he said I should open a car factory it's not what I said you know it's kind of insane and it's filtered <laughs> through to him that I was saying you know I, he sh- it, but the Beatles could have helped Liverpool if ever they were going to help the 80s would have been the time to do it whereas now anyone can make money off we could form a, a, a Beatles band now you know us four could be the Echo Beatles <laughs> you know, and, and you could make we'd get a gig we'd get gigs it's there's nothing creative about Beatles tribute bands. There's nothing create. there's nothing interesting about... Because they just, you know, you didn't think... If you saw someone like Freddie Starr impersonating Elvis, you didn't think, oh, I'll get a Freddie Starr that Sing's Elvis album. You'd buy an Elvis album. You know what I mean? And the same way, you don't see, I don't see Beatles tribute bands and think, oh, wouldn't it be great to get their recordings of those amazing recordings, you know? So, yeah, McCartney had a, I, I had another thing with McCartney... I'll tell you after.
1: <laughs>
2: okay. <laughs> I will. But yeah, the, I, I mean, I just think that, you know, they never really gave anything back to Liverpool for a long time. They might have privately. That wasn't the point. We needed figureheads. We needed heroes. Liverpool needed heroes in the 80s. And our lot did it. Our lot, well, our lot got really successful. You know, OMD, Ian Brody, uh, all of that, as well as the ones I've already mentioned, Uh and we flew, flew the flag. Frankie goes to Hollywood with the biggest band in the world, you know. Mm. And um, Flock of Seagulls, China Crisis, you know, you can keep... At one point in the top 40 in the mid-80s, there were, I think it was 18 of Eric's stroke Liverpool bands in the top 40, which is a lot. I nearly swore it was that many. Mm. Um, but we'd still be getting asked about the Beatles. We haven't had a chart like this so full of Liverpool since 1965. And I go, really? Yeah. What, what happened then? You know, just trying to be sarcastic about it because it need, Liverpool needed help at different times. And I don't think the Beatles ever really... I think what he's done at Lippert is fantastic. I think uh, he's he, he, not only in terms of um, the people who go through it, but in terms of raising the profile and Liverpool becoming a positive thing. But a lot of other people have done it before he was doing anything about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Liverpool sh- should have positive images and not just from football or half the football. <laughs>
1: So, do you Anton? Do you see the do you see McCartney and the Beatles as a figurehead for young musicians today?
3: Not as a figurehead for young musicians, not at all. Uh, I mean, yeah, I know Paul's got Lipper and all that, but I just don't think that appeals to me. I never went to Lippa. I didn't study music. Uh, I learned. I had drum lessons. That that's it in school, and then I went. Which is on.
2: weird because he's a guitarist.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I went on to, to learn the drums. I didn't think I wanted to go to Lippa. I just wanted to, to start, get in a band and start playing music, which is what they did. Yeah,
1: the Beatles did exactly, themselves.
2: Yeah. And I think Lippa was. I, I thought I used to think that nobody from Liverpool went to Lippa. You know, there were always jokes about it being full of Norwegian students with plenty of money. And I think there was a lot of that. And for a few years, I think the people who came out of Lippa became tour managers and stage managers some of them work for Simon Moran uh, SJM the big promoters uh, quite a lot of ex-Lippo work for them but you didn't get bands I think the Wombats were probably I the think the Wombats brands. are probably the most successful yeah, bands yeah. to come out like of I like them but uh, Lippo and I, I, McCartney later said we're never going to get a Bob Dylan or a John Lennon from here and so that, I, I thought that was a shame, you know. He could have supported grassroots music, like you, you know, yeah. where you were coming from. Yeah, exactly. Like, clubs like the Zanzibar, which I love. Tony was one of my best mates, yeah, you know.
3: Yeah, Tony, Tony is more of a figurehead than Paul exactly. McCartney in yeah. grassroots music, Tony Butler. Mm. Yeah, he'd done a lot for the city and he'd done a lot for uh, small local yeah, bands absolutely. like ourselves.
2: And me, and as your, a small yeah. local band. <laughs> yeah. I am seriously, yeah. you know. He, yeah, to, he's you touched know, everyone, Tony he Butler. He really did. He's, you know, and he became my best mate, but... That's the thing, you find your own contemporary mates. And you, sometimes that rivalry as well, you, you must have bands who you maybe don't like the people so much and you want to top them, you know. Like I was like that with my best mates. When they did, if they played Manchester, we wanted to go Leeds because it was another <laughs> 50 miles or something. And that was like winning, topping each other all the time. But it, it encourages you to get better at what you do. And that's what, at the scene, is the, you know, the, the world he lives in uh, is more important than the Beatles as a musician for him creatively yeah. and I'm in a luxury position of being old so I can say you know I can listen to the Beatles now and enjoy it like mad and, and I mean I became mates with Mark Lewison who writes the Beatles he's the bi- official biographer and we're really good mates we've
1: had him on haven't we All oh now. he's okay.
2: great Mark he's just he's really great and, and but he loves he loves them but he walks the streets to see where they walked he, he comes to Liverpool and he walks around Dingle to see what yeah. it's like you know and he lives he lives the Beatles story and he doesn't view it as they're all perfect. and You know, like a lot of the biographies are ha- hagiographies as they say, where it's all, they were great, didn't they, lovely, mm. and they made the best tea in the world.
1: Well, that's not
2: important, you know. <laughs> he knows the important stuff, although a good cup of tea can make a difference,
3: you know. Yeah,
1: definitely. <laughs> so did you listen to the Beatles growing
2: up? So
3: I think because I, I was asked so much about them, I, I sort of shunned shun them a tiny bit, and it was only until... It, Started getting into music that I listened to them, whereas it may be different from you because you couldn't get away from it. Yeah. But when when you're little, you sort of don't you don't really know until you start getting into guitar music and listening to bands, and then you start listening to the Beatles. So yeah, I did listen to them, but not not every day. What what I think's weird though when you listen to new, more modern bands now, you can hear Beatles influences in their song. So you don't even have to listen to the Beatles yeah. t-
2: to, to be influenced by them. It's an odd thing that where, people, and there might be bands who say they've never listened to the Beatles and had no influence who could almost sound yeah. like them, you yeah. know, because it's filtered through so many different yeah. areas. The Beatles the, would be the common denominator. In yeah, a lot or, yeah, you could do a line right through the middle of everything. I mean, you wouldn't have ELO without the Beatles, which would be great not to have <laughs> ELO. But... uh uh,
1: well, in yesterday in the film, yesterday when the when Lowell's head of the Beatles, he's googling names of bands and he googled yeah, Oasis. Oasis. And yeah, 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 There's yeah. L- Liam
3: Gallagher, and, and he's he's created the pretty green clothing line that was all based on John yeah, Lennon's yeah. St- hippie style, all yeah. the paisley and right, all the funky yeah. glasses and that. So, we obviously loved them with uh, Oasis. Well,
2: I, I, when I, saw Oasis when we were third on the bill, and I knew they were great. Uh, in the way, because Live Forever was just an amazing song. And after the first LP, in fact, by the time of the first LP, I'd started going off, I and mean, I'm not saying that to be a hipster of or any n- nation, it just it was less interesting to me because I could see exactly that line from the Beatles, and the Beatles would have done far more interesting things with most of those songs. Yeah. They had, <clears throat> one of the great things they, they did, because uh, we should have some positives about them, <laughs> beside them being the best band in the world and the most successful and influential, because when they were coming through and playing Hamburg, they were learning songs from musicals like Till There Was You and they were learning, you know, uh, songs with mad chord sequences that weren't rock and roll. That came out in their music. The second LP, With The Beatles, is my favourite Beatles record because the first one, is all the, it's the live set, basically, and all done in one take. By the second one, they're The Beatles, in capital letters with lights all around it, and you can feel it, you can feel it. When you're here With The Beatles, they're going... Wow, we are the Beatles. We're going to make a Beatles album. The first one is just a band. The second one is this amazing entity. And even when they cover like Smokey Robinson on there, uh, you really got a hold on me. I mean, how can you be better than Smoky Robinson? And they were better than Smokey Robinson for that one day. And I, I played with the Beatles. Of all the Beatles records... Uh, I mean, it could be Alan Pardis and say greatest hits one and two or something, <laughs> you know, but no, with the Beatles is stunning, you know, uh, it, 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 it's a band who are absolutely confident and the first of their kind, because they, they could look around and go, there's been nothing like us and we're selling records and we're having, you know, and they, they didn't have the, those amazing singles wearing on the LPs.
3: But that, that was one of the interesting things about it. Their albums weren't a collection of singles. It was more yeah. of a whole experience, especially with the latest stuff. Yeah, exactly. And that's and what, what they've defined, and that still goes on today. Like You've got bands who can make concept albums now. When yeah. at the Beatles time, that
2: was never the thing. Well, there's even a, one of my th- criticisms, because uh, we'll get back to criticisms, <laughs> uh, about... That was quick. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, They've had their moment in the sun. <laughs> I wonder what happened to them. Um, was the, the Liverpool... Celebration of the Beatles that came in the late 80s, early 90s, this Beatles industry focused on the mop tops. I mean, I know that's when they lived here, but you got, I mean, and not just this is not just Liverpool. There was a lot you'd see every documentary was about, you know, the four lads, not about the interesting concepts they took, not, certainly not about their drug taking and how that influenced their experimentation. And I, I mean, and the other thing they had, they had amazing mates around, because they, they were the biggest band in the world, people would come up and say, you heard this so ravi Shankar comes into it george didn't go mm-hmm. out and find ravi Shankar. someone said to him have you heard this paul says this in interviews he says you know me mates who had the attica book shop uh we going here uh, oh you've got to read this you've got to try like um, tomorrow never knows you know that's all from the book of the dead like an ancient egyptian book and john was given that in in, in his mate's bookshop it wasn't like he conjured it up or thought, I must find a book that does this. He, they had amazing people saying, try this music, try this pill, try this book, try this whatever. And because they, they, they were the biggest band and there'd been no one before them, they could experiment in a way. They, they had the freedom. The fact that they also wrote songs that everyone could remember uh, didn't half help. So they never did experimentation, I think, or they hardly ever did experimentation without having a decent song with it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Every, I mean, you can go through every song, every LP, and uh, every LP has a uh, great song, great song, great song, great song, hardly ever a bad one, you know. Couple on Help, couple on Hard Day's Night, because they were working to order then, you know, they were under pressure. They used to make two LPs a year. I mean, that's just mad. Mm. I took three years to make my last LP and nobody liked it they did actually yeah. they very much loved it. it's very popular it's available on Spotify yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: uh, but, and but I, the industry then was just I mean so different to your experience and, yeah. now, and now of course it's completely changed I'd, hate
2: to, I'd hate to be in a, a young band because it, it's just it's not an industry anymore it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a supermarket checkout Everyone's on, you'd be better off. I made a joke on the telly that was nicked by Paul Morley, this Manchester journalist. And literally I made it on the telly. And a week later on a live show, he nicked it. And it's a a kid goes to his mum and says, Mum, I want to be a lawyer. And she says, well, why don't you form a band so you've got something to fall back on? Now, when I was a kid, it was the opposite way around. I want to be in a band. Well, make sure you've got, show you've got something to fall back on. But now there's an industry where you can guarantee, if you decide today, I want to be a musician, there's a decent living possibly to have. You know, there's a route at least, you know, that you can start here and then go through A, B, C and D. And in the end, you know, you can make some money. Whereas we didn't have, I didn't have that world. I didn't, I went to university and I left within no time because of music. Uh, because I could either do a degree... I, I could either do an essay on a French 19th century poet or go to Paris with The Clash.
1: Hmm. So, <laughs> hard choice. I did both. Would you agree with that? Assessment? I think you're
3: making it sound a, a bit easier than what it is right now. I'm not saying it's easy. <laughs> no one. But I get what you're saying. You could yeah. go to Brit school and you could, yeah. you, if you can belt out a decent tune then, and you've got yeah. the right people with the right amount of money behind you, then yeah. Yeah, I'm but, not
2: talking about the real musicians like you. Yeah, oh, that's I'm good. i genuinely <laughs> not yeah, about, I'm, I mean... What I mean is, if you went to a careers office, that they still exist? Mm-hmm. I, or is that more like a seance now? Yeah. they just trying <laughs> the to get down. The jobby you. still exists. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I know, I signed on very recently <laughs> on the way here. Um, I uh, I think, uh, I, I'm certainly not dissing uh, what the experience for you and, and uh, bands coming through. What I mean is there is this whole strata, which is all powerful as well. For example, if you won uh, a pop, as a pop competition in the 70s or 80s, it would get like a column the size of a postage stamp in, in a newspaper article. We could In the 80s, we could be in the charts and you would get a tiny mention. That's only when they started thinking pop music would be something to sell. Whereas now, it's the front page, because they, the Simon Cowls of this world own the media more or less. They do deals with the media. So if you have a record out, or do you still have records out? If you have your download prepared and ready... Uh, they can guarantee you millions and millions of whatever they have, you know, s- streams,
1: streams. <laughs> but for you you had to go and set up your own nights, didn't
3: you? Because yeah, you weren't yeah. so so well, what we done here, uh, we were getting ignored and ripped off and all kinds, as the cheap drills. Yeah. So what we decided to do uh, is set up our own nights called Keep Cheap. We yeah, give it a brilliant. different name under the different promotions company and we'd rent the venue out and we'd book the bands and we'd pay the bands and we'd, we'd make sure the bands got beer and beer money and soundcheck, and that's what we didn't have. Yeah. So th- that's why we've sort of, maybe that, in a bit a bit of a punk essence. Yeah, absolutely. Even though we're not a punk band, but we sort yeah. of think it was more of a resistance against yeah. what we struggled with.
2: Well, it is, that's a punk rock attitude, to do it yourself, you know, and that's brilliant, and I admire you for yeah, that. Yeah, and, and it, it's
3: grew. So we, we started in the shipping forecast, which was about
2: 150
3: people, and then we went to the Magna, which has closed down now. Yeah. And then we done Studio 2, which was 300. And then in November, we've, we've booked the O2 Academy out ourselves. And I don't know any Liverpool band who hasn't done that without a promoter. That's amazing. Yeah. So that we, is... We've done it all ourselves through, through Keep Cheap Promotion.
2: Fantastic. Congratulations as well. <laughs> and it should be more like that. I mean, I, you know, I've always I've always liked people who... I mean, I've done a lot of stuff, do it yourself, because that's, that, that was my instinct and that was where it came from with punk rock and stuff. Uh it's funny when you read about people like Alan Williams who managed the Beatles early on and ran the, uh, the Jacaranda and stuff, and they were just hustlers as well. The Beatles had to deal with hustlers. They got lucky because they escaped from the hustle. Uh, what I mean, the secondary part of that is, besides the Simon Cowell damage, it is uh, when, you get, when you got to 30, no, when you got to 25 in Merseybeat times, like you think of the Searchers and you think of... Uh, the big three and all those, you had to either pack it in and open a hairdresser's, or do cabaret. Whereas I am st- still playing live now, and I'm still doing original stuff as well as me popular songs to an audience who aren't there for. And I, I you know, I bring politics into it, and I bring I, whatever I want to say. I'm am free to do it. I don't cater, like, pander to the audience. Uh, just whereas a lot of those Mersey... But the Beatles are the only ones who escaped, basically. Mersey beat and lived, you know. The searches went on to you know, do very little afterwards creatively. Billy Kinsley's still around, uh, and he's fantastic. And uh, But they didn't have careers after it, because you, when you got to 25, you had to pack it in. That's the other side of it, whereas we can... I can get to my age. I'm nearly 30 now, and <laughs> we... Thank you for that. <laughs> uh, I'm 61 and I can still go out and play live and play live as a going concern, not as a retro vintage band or a, or a a tribute band. I did say once when the Capital of Culture was coming up and they started asking us what we thought, and they never really were interested until quite late on, and uh, they offered me a certain amount of money to do it, and I said, you're joking, there's a Pete Wiley tribute band on in the grapes, they get more than that. He said, have you got their number? <gasps> He didn't, you know. They, I was waiting for them to up the offer, but that was the—that was literally how they thought of us. They, we were just little. They weren't music people, really. I suppose, you know. But uh, I think, I think Liverpool's got always going to have great bands and great people doing things like this off their own bat. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I, I still love the place, and I, I can't imagine being anywhere else. And I, my music wouldn't be like it is if I wasn't from Liverpool, you know. Definitely.
1: And do you think both of you is there a future where? young musicians in Liverpool don't have to think about the Beatles or can escape the Beatles in any way? I'm not
3: sure there is. I, I don't think there is. I yeah. think it's being commercialised as well that much that there's always going to be money in it. So if there's always going to be money in it, it's always going to be
2: yeah, it's always going to be there. People will always go for the easy route if there's a way of making money rather than being interested in the creative side. And that was the one thing we missed. Uh, we all tried. I I had my own label in the 80s and we signed bands like Black and It's a Material... We both went on to have hits um, because we wanted to help people who were coming through. And that was another attitude we had of uh, you help your mates and you do things together. Uh, The fact that he's still getting mentions of the Beatles when he goes around, him and his band and the other bands. My daughter Mersey is a singer and her stuff is not guitar; it's soul, uh, feminist soul, and it's fantastic. And... it's hard for her in liverpool there isn't a place for you know there isn't a place for her to she works with a guy sometimes she does gigs with Sam Volo and there is a there's a bit of a black music scene going on but not enough of a black music scene yeah. you know when you hear about the cavern you never hear about the chants i did um, the, the council asked me to do a uh, guided to tour of liverpool an audio, a podcast, basically, where I just talked about venues and where, you know, if you put your headphones on and you walk ten yards, here's this and this and that. And I, I, when I got the got the script and I'd done it, I said, "You haven't mentioned the real thing. You haven't mentioned Liverpool Eight, where loads of every musician, even though all those white guys moved into Toxteth because it was the coolest area, you know. And I still live in Toxteth. And uh, but they didn't mention the real thing. There was a certain You know, if it's not white boys with guitars, it doesn't exist, you know? And I think that's the other thing that still happens here, you know? I think there's a thing where white boys with guitars uh, are, that's the Liverpool thing. And you need things that are different to that. You need more. I mean, you've always got OMD, but they were from the Whittle. (laughs) We tried to stop them. (laughs)
0: So when you hear when you hear Pete talk about what Liverpool used to be like, just do you see any any of that at all still around?
3: Hmm, I think I think it started to come back. So we've been in the the cheap thrills for absolutely years, maybe like nine years now. The wow. same band, same lineup, and just yeah. that's just because we love it. But and when we started out, it was a lot of everyone was a bit snobby and everyone kept themselves to themselves. themselves. But I think now there is like a little bit of a scene, everyone's supporting each other. It's like I, I speak to bands all the time, like I maybe pop into a band in the studio and they send me demos, I yeah. send them demos and we, we all support each other and I, think, I think that is coming back now yeah but
0: it's, not, it's, its not it's not
3: into the ex, extent that it was then, but, but I, I think that that's good so everyone bands need to support other bands for for, that, for everyone to be successful.
2: You even have to, you know even bands you don't like uh, you still big them up. You still encourage yeah. them. You still because it it is important. It's great when you have a scene because you do have the yeah. ups and downs. And I think Liverpool does like all music scenes. They go in ups and downs. Like after Arla, by the mid eighties, uh, there wasn't really anything going on for ages. You know the Lars came, uh, and then cast obviously out of the Lars. Uh, Space came at some point in the late 80s, but it wasn't like a scene anymore. It was like anywhere gets a band or two bands or three bands. And then the next one was, you know, the Zootons, the Coral, the Bandits at, at the Zanzibar Tony's yeah. place, you know. Uh, and that was dead exciting to me. I didn't, I, I'd stopped going out because I didn't feel like I could fit in. I didn't want to be like someone. I'd turn up, I went to see the Arctic Monkeys first tour, and people either thought it was a plain clothes cop mm. or a taxi driver. Because I was not I was like 10 years or 20 years older than the people who were in the audience. And then uh, someone said, you want to come down to the Zanzibar? Tony said you should come down to Zanzibar, you know. And I went in, and nobody recognised me, which was fine. And uh, I, I was wearing a suit, which because I like wearing suits sometimes. And uh, next thing, 7 Minutes to Midnight, our second single came on, Phil, who was the DJ in there. And people were going nuts, and I was like oh, wow, I've got a connection with it. It was, it was a great feeling, a really good feeling to be part of, you know, the history that was getting respect from the next lot. And I really loved that. And then the Wombats, I, I became mates with the Wombats just because I thought they were great and they were doing doing nice things, you know, and clinic as well. I mean, I, I don't know what they look like because they always wear masks, but I <laughs> like them on, I like their music and I go and see them and there's always good stuff and, I'll you know, cheap thrills, fantastic. His attitude is stunning. You know, the fact that there are still people like you and ideas like you're having and that self-drive is, it, you know, all I know, self-drive is what you get with cars, in it? <laughs> that's a terrible <laughs> you know, piece. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am a cab-driving, plain-clothes cop and you're all busted. Uh, but no, I think it's great, you know. And I think there's, there's a certain way Liverpool at its best is about communities. Yeah. You know, I mean, I That's music, in the, it is in Liverpool. the Yeah, the, What's what say again, that, that
3: having yep. a sense of community and everyone being together is sort of what Liverpool's about. Yeah, everyone it's the sticks best together.
2: Thing, yeah. And I you know, I think that when I when we came to Matthew Street, I used to talk to the fellas from the previous generation. None of my mates did actually. Uh, mostly. Uh, Bob Wooler, who was the DJ at the Cavern who I mean he was, he was a massive part of that world. I just loved Bob, and I got to know him. And he, even towards the end of his life, I, I'd still see him in the streets, and he'd always remember facts about you. When he died, he went into his house, and he had files on every band, including our lot and every Liverpool band. He would keep them because he wanted to be—he wanted to know it all. And I wanted to know it all. I wanted to know what it was like for them. I wanted to know what they—you know—what they went through. And the same when the next generation of bands came, I wanted to know how things were. And you know, I was interested because it's—I also loved the city. And I, the community is important to me as, you know, Liverpool's all about community, and it, which is a thing that didn't get recognised sometimes in certain corridors of power, and the uh, the establishment didn't understand that. But, we, you know, we're at our best when we care for each other, and so in, whether it's in music or just in life, you know, that's the greatest time. And I think, uh, I mean, I, that's the, I think that's why people t- felt left down by the Beatles, because the Beatles just... I mean, by force of the success were taken out from them. They felt like they'd been robbed from them. You know, people you talk to from those days were like, we were so, that was such our thing. You, got, you know, because they play, didn't they play 290 times at the cabin. Oh, I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. Huge, I don't think I played 290 times yeah. in my house. You know, it's just, uh, <laughs> uh and so there was a real sense that they were part of the gang and they talked to them and they bantered off stage with them. Um And then all of a sudden they were gone. And it was sort of, there was a mixture of, Pride. I I have a word uh, which to me sums up Scouses and it's optimisery where you're really happy and optimistic, but you're also miserable because the greatness might not come. It's that kind of, uh, and people have said about my songs that it's like you're singing along with your scarf, but you're crying at the same time. (laughs) That mix of emotion and, you know, so I think people felt bereft when the Beatles went and they weren't part of the community anymore. And they tried to keep the community going, but it, it fizzled out after the Beatles left. You know, it really did fizzle out. Jerry and the Pacemakers, had the, they had loads of good records, M- not just the, the famous ones. They, I think they'll the, be the one who people will remember alongside the Beatles and Silla. Mm. Is, right? Is that probably right, isn't it? Has Is anyone else ever missed anyone else? Sod them all. If I can't remember you, you're not <laughs> in the list. <laughs>
1: Oh, well, thanks so much, guys. It's been really interesting hearing
0: I'll Ask what you've another to question.
2: Say. We've only we've answered one. <laughs> 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 no, thank you. I really enjoyed it and it's great to talk about it, you know. Yes,
0: yeah, thanks very much for coming in.
2: Pleasure. I wish I'd let him talk more now. I feel terrible.